Ladies and gentlemen and fellow freedom fighters, this is Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and welcome back to the Get Invested podcast. You know, in our lives, we tend to focus on how to invest our resources to get the greatest effect. But this particular instalment of the Get Invested podcast comes in a noticeable shade of altruism. This is because my guest in this week's show is Hunter Leonard. Hunter is the founder and CEO of Silver and Wise. He's known for helping large businesses with marketing strategy, including Bluescope Steel, NAB, Bendigo Bank, Melbourne Brick, and many more. He's also the author of several acclaimed books, a successful businessman, and someone with a sharp eye for giving back. Sitting down with Hunter and picking his brain was an absolute pleasure. In our chat, we covered his early investments, his career, how he thinks about money, his definitions of success, how to allocate your resources, the productivity potential of older folks, and the importance of giving back to your community. As we go through the episode, you're going to find some absolute pieces of gold, which include some great topics like um, why an investment in yourself is often the most important one to make, the different perspectives on what it means to be successful, the difference between an investor and an outvestor, the intangible benefits of altruistic work, and why so many people in Australia feel unfulfilled and what they should do about it. I know you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I've got a lot of time for Hunter. He's a man with a real passion and empathy, uh, very clever in his communication, and is doing some fantastic things in helping uh, the mature employees start a business after being retrenched late in their working life. So uh, sit back now and enjoy a fantastic conversation with Hunter Levin. Before we get into it, if you're a time poor professional who's interested in investing but don't have the time, you don't have the expertise, you don't know where to start, you don't know who to trust, then grab a copy of my book, The Freedom Formula, that gives you all of the know-how. You can check it out at www.bushymartin.com.au or email me at hello at khgroup.com.au. That's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au and mention Get Invested for a special bonus. I might add that all of the proceeds of the book are going to Living It Rough and Doing It Tough, a really dedicated group who provide for the needs of the homeless and their pets. So please get involved. And now, I hope you enjoy this interview. Yeah, and I think it's it's really, you, you talk about the word true value, and I think that's what we've got to have people understand is the true value of wisdom and experience goes well beyond what you're paying someone in a salary. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how on where they invest their time, their skills, and their money, and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests. Every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy, and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You will hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. 
More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening and now let's get invested. Okay, well I'm here with Hunter Leonard. Uh, we're about to get invested. Uh, welcome aboard, Leonard. It's uh, been looking forward to catching up with you and have a chat for a while. No worries, Bushy. Very happy to have a chat, buddy. Excellent. Now I'll, I'll kick straight into it, uh, Hunter, and I'll just sort of get you to start by telling us about who you are, what you do, and where you're heading at the moment, mate. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess top line, I'm a husband, a musician, a cook, a business owner, an author, and a philanthropist, which kind of summarises what I do in life. That's massive. Um, and where I'm heading at the moment is I'm right in the middle of uh, starting a a new business. Um, we've been in the pre-launch phase for the last couple of years, and I'm now just starting to roll out the first of the products and services, which is pretty exciting. Awesome. And the, the reason why you're doing that, mate, what's the, what's the driver behind that? Well, there's two two reasons. One is one is obviously my own uh, financial security for myself and my wife, and and being prepared for the future. But also because we have a bent in philanthropic endeavours is to create something that makes a difference in in a social sense as well. Yeah, awesome. Okay, okay. Well, that's uh, sounds pretty exciting, mate. I'd, what I might do now is just sort of flip it on its head a little bit, and we'll go back to where it all began for you. And and I'd just like you to take us through your life journey so far, but focusing on what you've invested your time and your money into when and why and what it, has it done for you and for others along that pathway? Yeah, okay. So uh, born in Canberra, um, I'll do the same thing as you say and don't hold that against me, but um, <laughs> my father and mother uh, were running or dad was running his own business in Canberra when I was born and so I sort of was born into a a family of business owners, if you like. Yep. Um, then they moved when I was about four to Sydney and I grew up in and did all my schooling in Sydney and lived there till um, my early 30s. Okay. Um, I guess investing, when I was younger, it was about really was, when I reflect back on it, it was investing in myself and my friends. It was time outdoors and yep. playing sport and, of course, uh, education, although when you're in school, it's kind of sometimes more of a, a chore than a than something that's particularly inspiring. But um, <laughs> and I, I, my report cards at school were often things like inclined to be talkative. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> so, uh, so, but then going to uni, I definitely, uh, I definitely look back on uni as being an investment in my my skills and my education, which is probably where I really first started investing. It wasn't about money, yeah. um, though I did um, while I was fortunate to go through in the in the phase of free university education. I did put myself through uni. I paid for I worked three days a week and went to uni four days a week. So I paid for all of my books myself and all of my petrol and and uh, travel to and from home and all that sort of stuff. So. Okay. Um, so that was an investment of some money, not yep. not a large amount. Certainly not as, as much as people have to pay these days for their education. But uh, sure. that was probably where I invested my my time in yeah. was uh, the university degree, which uh, you know has been very useful right through my life, even though I'm not working in that field anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So so moving forward from there, uh, as you progress through, uh, take take me through. Uh, with sort of talking your early 30s, take me through yep. the journey from there and, and what you then invested in and, and where that's led to. Yeah, so probably the first thing we, we invested in, um, actually my father died quite young and I, he, I was fortunate my mum loaned me some money from, from his uh, um, 
superannuation, I suppose, and, and I bought a I bought a small farm okay. out in Nimitabel in New South Wales. So, right. um, and that was more of an emotional decision I, to have a bit of space and and have somewhere to go and go and go skiing with mates and stuff. And you know, when I'm when talking talking a farm. People might be thinking, you know, something grand and glorious, but it was basically 60 acres along the mountain highway in Nimitabel and cost me about 70 or 80 grand or something. So it wasn't a particularly big, big amount of money, but it was a great property and it was 45 minutes from the ski field. So I used to go down there three, three or four times a year and, and basically just chop wood and cut cut um, plants down and go skiing. And that was kind of the, the um, a place to go and get away from work, if you like. Yeah. You still got the property, Hunter? No, no. We sold that after 20-odd years and got about the same we paid for it. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> great investment from a from a commercial return, but uh, obviously had lots of great time down there with our family and things like that. A lot of fantastic um, memories there. And from then on, really, it's been Nicole and I got married in our late 20s. Um, we, we bought a, a series of houses first in the Blue Mountains and then a place in Summers in Victoria and then um, more recently a, a house in Bentley in, in Victoria about four or five years ago. So okay. so we've, we've always had houses. Um, they started off as being houses, uh, more holiday houses, and we rented closer to work and then we'd smart. go to our, our house on the weekend. That's smart. But now we own our house that we live in. We don't have holiday houses or anything anymore. We go, go on holidays to wherever we decide to, but... Yeah, but, uh, yeah so it's kind of switched around in the last sort of five or six years, I suppose. So the the switch into investing in your own business, when did that kick off? Uh, I started my first business at 35, so I had an opportunity to come out of employment. Um, uh, it was a, a contract signed on a napkin with a with the husband of a friend of mine who needed some help with his marketing, and so I came out of running an advertising agency and started Blue Frog in 2001. Okay. Okay. Yep. And the what what was the at that point in time? Why did you decide to invest in your own business? Uh, well, I had always thought I would probably own one at some point. Um, having grown up with my dad running his own business at various times during my my early years, uh, he d- did work for other people, but at times he ran his own business, and I used to go and help him. Um, put floors down and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, when the opportunity came out, it came up, it was kind of seemed like the right time to have a crack. I thought if I'm going to have a crack, I've got to have a crack now, otherwise I'll never do it. So, yeah. um, and, and at the time I was sort of pretty much overworking for somebody else and I thought, well, I might as well go and have a crack and do something myself. So, Yeah, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's obviously gone pretty well for you, mate? Yeah, look, it's been it's been. Uh, challenging, but more more fun than challenging over sixteen years. We've certainly had some times that were um, that uh, would uh, would challenge anyone. I would have thought, but um, we're still going after sixteen years. So yeah, that's <laughs> a itself. Yeah, and and I certainly love um, love being able to take it in whatever direction I decide, as opposed to having to worry about somebody else's thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's uh, dig in a little bit deeper on the investment front, and let's talk about the money side. What what was the first dollar that you invested, mate? Was it was it the that property that you spoke to me about, or was it something? Uh, yeah, I'd that? say it was probably the first the first uh, real dollar of investment was into the farm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. And, and if we look back now from where you currently sit, you're feeling happy about how you've invested your time and your money and your resources to this point. Yeah. I, look, I think generally, I think I would have probably 
thought thought twice about buying the farm. Although we had a lot of time out there, it took it was pretty hard to sell. After when we went to go to sell it, it took a long time to sell, and then we didn't make any money on it. So yeah. uh, it probably cost a fair bit of dough. But then you got to balance that against having, you know, four weeks of um, holidays a year for five or ten years uh, for free. Exactly. <laughs> Except for a bit of firewood and cutting yeah. things off off the property. So it's actually pretty cheap um, holiday so probably, in that regard. Yeah. So it probably wasn't the best investment from a financial perspective, but then, um, then you know, the recent one in Bentley's been awesome the last three or four years. Yeah. Bentley's gone off really well. So be brilliant. Swings, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, awesome. And so if you were talking to your 18-year-old self now, looking back, yeah. uh, what would you advise him to invest his time, his money and his skills in? Anything different to what you've done? Um, I'd probably say buy in the city, not the country. From the farm perspective, um, but in terms of the education and, and investment in, in skills and stuff, I would do it exactly the same way I did. So I'd be saying, just do what you're doing. Yeah. Because I still use my science degree skills in my daily work now. Um, yes. the, the thought process of test and measure and experiment with things still runs very strong through the veins of the way we do our marketing with our clients. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I. I we had a uh, food for thought session just the other evening for a bunch of uh, uh, our investors, and it was an on the couch fireside chat type exercise. And and someone asked me to talk them through my investment journey, and I said, "Look, the first thing that if if I was talking to myself as I was eighteen, I'd invest in your skills first. Yeah, get, get really good at something, whatever that yes. is. Mightn't necessarily be your passion because quite often your passion." isn't going to give you an income, not always. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Once mm. you've got to a point where you've invested in your skills, then then you put yourself in a position where potentially you can build your own business or drive a very strong career. And that gives you the opportunity to in, invest in things that are going to replace that income and uh, then sustain your lifestyle long term. So so in the, in the context of all that, uh, what does success mean to you? Everyone's definition is different. What, what's, what's your definition of success, Hunter? For, for me, it's it's really just being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, and that could be anything from, you know, 15 minutes having a play of the trumpet, as I was showing you, <laughs> yeah. um, to, to a day's bushwalking, you know, on a Monday, not a not a weekend, if you know what I mean. So yes. um, for me, it's 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 small. It could be small things and large things. It's not it's not about. Um, and of course, that does relate to having the money to be able to do that, or creating the time to be able to do that. But really, it is just at any moment in time being being able to do the things that really light your fire, rather than somebody else's. Totally agree. Yep, that's spot on. And if the, one of the terms that I often talk about uh, is the difference between an investor and an outvestor. And an investor is someone who invests in themselves. An outvestor yeah. is someone who invests in helping others, and you can be both, or you can be one for a time and then become the other. Where would you yeah. sit on the on the spectrum of investor and outvestor? Um, definitely more interested in helping others than myself. I, I'm a very extroverted person from a perspective of not mean. I don't mean that by outgoing. I mean my focus is on helping others, and yeah. then the flow, the flow will come back. And I've always, well, I've always worked out that if you invest your time in helping others then you do get a flow back um it's a bit of that rubbish in rubbish out like if you give if you give crap out to other people you're likely to get crap back yeah but 
um, and pretty much in running my businesses, I kind of I'm kind of doing both at the same time because I'm I'm investing in uh, delivering a service for someone, but that service is always helping someone as well. If you know what I mean, so I'm kind of fortunate in the way we run our businesses is that that we get both at the same time. Well, the the silver and wise exercise the the transformation that will bring potentially to the lives of people who quite often at that, that age are starting to wonder uh, what the future holds for them. I, I can sure. see that being the, the satisfaction that you must get out of uh, seeing the light go on for those people must be quite amazing. Oh, yeah, and it's um, it, it's kind of mind-blowing actually how, how much difference we could make just by helping one person at a time. So... I was in a conversation the other day with the Age Discrimination Commissioner who's been appointed to oversee some of the rubbish that's going on in, in not just mature age but in many age groups. Um, yeah. And they're, they're in, they're in um, possession of some data from a major study that was done that shows that putting just 5% more mature age people back into productive employment and I include business ownership in that because that's a component of what we're doing. Of course, could could add something in the vicinity of fifty billion dollars to the economy. So, uh, so we've, we've kind of worked. Yeah, we've worked out that it's roughly a two to three hundred fold uh, return on investment in our program and also in programs to put people in employment because. And when you think of businesses, if you said to any business owner, oh, "Give me a dollar and I'll give you two hundred, they would just go. <laughs> any Are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. Where's um, the cat? <laughs> yeah, but but when you look at the model, the the fact is, if you help uh, an individual, let's say take a very specific example, you help somebody get a job for a hundred thousand dollars, then that person will go and spend that hundred thousand dollars on maybe. A, a, a deposit on a property, or yep. they they'll they'll go and buy food, yep. they'll go and um, pay taxes, they'll do. It. So when you actually see what happens with that money and how it then flows through the economy, um, we can see that just helping someone and inspiring them to start a business, or inspiring someone to employ them uh, for their maturity and their wisdom, can create this snowball effect that actually does return quite an amazing amount of uh, positive. In return in terms of revenue or wages or taxes paid, but it also has the the obviation of the negative side too. So it stops them going on to social benefits. Of course, it stops it stops them going to see the doctor because they're feeling emotionally challenged at some for some um, reason related to losing their job or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. the the, and when I was talking to the commissioner, um, <laughs> she thought I was lowballing the estimate. She thought it really? was probably double what what we were thinking. So I can't think of another business where I can um, make some money myself yep. because we are a for-profit enterprise. We're not a social enterprise. Of course. Um, make money for myself, help somebody else make money and be financially secure, and as a result of helping them, help the economy. So there's a triple win. Absolutely. And I, I, I think the... This sort of leads me neatly into another uh, pet subject of mine, and that is that uh, you know a lot of Australians have this thing about money, mm. and uh, it's sort of seen as painted as this evil thing that uh, uh, a lot of us are too scared to talk about. We sort of brush it under the carpet. Uh, my own view is, and if I was to paint someone who I have a fair bit of time for, is someone like Bill Gates, who 
made a fortune sure. putting computers on every one of our desks and and uh, home studies. But what he's done with that to actually improve and save the lives of uh, he saved something like six million lives to date through his foundation, and he yeah. spent twenty eight billion dollars of his own personal wealth to help make that happen. And he's he's come out and said that he will spend ninety five percent of his wealth by the time he leaves the planet. Uh, for me, uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Hunter, uh, I see money as a great enabler for good. And yes. I'm, not, I'm not scared of that at all. I'm, I'm not going to hide that fact that uh, if I can build a successful business that can help people achieve their goals and then put that towards things that are going to make a difference, why should I feel uncomfortable about, what, about that? What, what, what's your thoughts around that subject? Yeah, totally. I, look, I, I agree with all of that. I think that um, as a... As a a society, we've got to enable productivity, yep. uh, and yep. then we've got to encourage those that are productive to do as well as they possibly can, and then to give back. Yep. So I see there's four categories in society. There's those that make money for themselves, yep. um, and they become rich and wealthy at the expense of others. Um, and I think we work, we've got to minimise that group. Yep. Uh, we've got to maximise the group of people who are productive and can make have the capacity to make millions in a business who then go away and give millions back, just yeah. like Bill Gates. Yep. Um, we've got to optimise the ability to support those who can't be productive for whatever reason, disability or, or abuse or yep. discrimination. Yep. Um, but we've also, the fourth category is the unproductive that are able to do something and don't. They choose not to. Mm. So this is the, the ones that could get a job. Um, or could be productive in something, but they choose to live off others, and we've got to minimise that group as well. So I think there's only two we should be pushing, and that's the ones that have a capacity to make money and are willing to give back, yeah. or or invest in philanthropic things, yep. and and also maximise the opportunity to help those that can't help themselves. Yeah, the uh, area that you're uh, drilling into with silver and wise, uh, you know, I, I think there's a massive need there, given that. Uh, you know, a lot of corporates, when they start to look at the bottom line and where to chop, it's it's that middle management line where a lot of sort of mid-40s to mid-50s uh, senior personnel seem to sit. What do you think it is that uh, we... That there is a, an almost underlying ageism that, that flows through for whatever reason. But what do you think... Yeah. Why do you think that is and... and, and Given what you're doing yourself and wise, what do you think needs to happen to change that per perception to respect the true value that uh, those individuals actually bring to the table? Yeah, and I think it's it's really you you talk about the word true value, and I think that's what we've got to have people understand is the true value of wisdom and experience goes well beyond what you're paying someone in a salary. Now I can totally understand corporate saying, well, okay. I can get that same job by, done by somebody else or I can remove it using technology or whatever, um, and that's fine. So you can't you can't knock a corporate for trying to make money because if they don't make money, well, we're stuffed anyway. So, sure. <laughs> but but I, I, do, I do think as a society we've, we've got to be more Eastern in our approach. Now, if you look at the Eastern philosophies like uh, China, Japan and a few of these other countries, they revere people of an older age Age, they they revere the wisdom, they revere the experience, and then they and they make sure that there's a place in society for those individuals. Mm, totally. So, 
however we do it, and you know, I, I choose to not focus. I, I've done enough research to know what the problem is, but I'm not going to focus on that any further. I'm just going to find a solution and just do my bit to yep. change it. Yep. Um, but as a society, we have to consider the the risk of not using the experience and wisdom of that person and allowing them to be productive and make money and pay taxes because if they're sitting unproductive at home, uh, getting sick and then drawing on the social purse, then you know who's going to end up paying the tax, don't you? It's you and me, Bushy. If we're still working, we're going to be paying 70% tax and there'll be no, there's no one going to be left to pay tax. So exactly. we have to optimise, and I'm not just talking about mature age, we actually have to optimise the, the productive proportion of our population, those that are doing well enough to pay tax. Because I think the other day I heard the figures that something like only, I think only 40 or 50% of the population pays any net tax. So Is that rest, a fact? The rest are either breaking even, in other words, they take as much out of the economy as they give in, and a whole bunch are obviously, for, for whatever reason, having to draw on it, and that's okay because we, we know there's a percentage that will always have to draw on it, but we can't hobble the productive ones, and we certainly can't waste the mature age group who want to work but can't work because somebody thinks they're a bit stupid because they've got a bit of grey hair. Exactly right. Yeah, it's spot yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely so true. This uh, worship of, of youth, uh, pretty scary concept uh, in the context yeah. of where it's going to lead us as a, as a community long term. And I agree, I don't want to uh, get off on a tangent too much because what I like about what you're doing is you're recognising the issue and you're actually doing something proactively about it. Which yeah. is awesome. Let's talk a bit about the switch to the future for a minute, uh, more on a personal level, if I can, Hunter. Um, you, you've covered off to some degree your future dreams and goals. What about personally? Uh, where do you see yourself personally heading over the next ten to twenty years? Um, well, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that's probably never going to retire. So, um, so I've got to I've got to make sure I'm funding a working lifestyle for the next fifty years. Um, yeah, but, join the club. Um, yeah, uh, look, it really, my my passion, I think, now is I'm going to in, keep investing my time into the business yep. uh, and into solutions to handle this problem. I think this, this issue of mature age productivity is probably going to be the thing that that, um, that I'll spend the next 30 years handling yep. uh, because I've realised there is such a huge, a huge thing that needs to change and it may take 10, 15, 20 years to to change, it's a bit like an ocean liner. It's big and it needs to, you know, the direction of it needs to change, but it doesn't happen the moment you spin the wheel. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, good call, very good yeah. call. It's sort of starting the momentum to move it in that direction. Your, yeah. what's your ideal lifestyle? When, if we talk about that uh, in the context of what you're doing, is it is it what your is your current lifestyle your ideal lifestyle? Look, I'm the thing. I'm like everyone. I'd probably like a little bit more free time sometimes, but then I, I get I get bored pretty easily. So I, I can't sit on a beach for two weeks at a time. Uh, my my ideal holiday is probably two or three days. But uh, but um, look, it's yeah. It's probably uh, going back to my point about being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, mm. It's about just expanding the moments, uh, the moments of time to be able to do that. So if I can. Um, build my business up and bring people around me so that I can step out for a month and go and, and it won't be a month of holiday, it might be to go and actually go across to meet people like these guys in the US that are philanthropic and learn from them or to do a workshop or to, again, invest in my skill and ability to do yep. more so that I can come back and re, you know spin the wheel a bit faster with Silver and Rice. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, the uh, If I was to give you a cheque for $10 million today, mate, yeah. uh, would you be doing anything differently? And uh, what would you do with it? Mate, I can, I can tell you what I'd do. I'd, I'd speed everything up. And we've just designed this collaborative program with about seven other businesses. And the concept is to put a 1,000 mature age individuals through this process, the process being first first step, watch your plan as an individual. Yeah. Uh, the second step being to stream them into either interim work, volunteering or running a business or a mix of all the above. Okay. Um, and we've worked out that it's going to cost about $10,000 Per person to put in, which is kind of fun because it adds up to your number that you've got, which is yes. ten million. Yeah. If we ten million in those thousand people, we'll end up with a half billion to one billion dollar difference in the economy. So that's what that's I do. With. Massive, yeah, that's massive, mate. So the, that's a nice segue into what legacy do you see yourself leaving? I would love the legacy that there was no age discrimination in Australia. Mm. Um, yep. As a as a uh, societal attitude, if you like, so I would love it that it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're five years old or ninety five, that someone uh, took you on face value and, and judged you according to your uh, ability to make a difference to others. So, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this: kids of four or five can make a difference to their parents and grandparents, and Grandparents of 95 can make a difference to the four or five generations that they've they've um, got as descendants. So, if somebody just went, you know what, Bushy, you're your age and you've got value, and I don't consider your age to be a a um, negative, that would be an awesome outcome. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think's going to need to change for that to start happening, though? Uh, it's going to be, I reckon, a focus on what people do and what they, what they, what difference they make. So, yeah. uh, if somebody is productive and doing well, I think we've got to just enable that as much as possible, not hobble them. So, yeah. you don't want to be taxing taxing the productive more than we do. Um, and I think we we've got to then also take those that are, are aren't able to be productive and just make sure we look after them. And that's that's human rights and you know yeah. and and social social um, support and the ones in the middle that are unproductive but could be need to get off their ass and do something <laughs> is it also part of uh, trying to re-inject levels of respect back in the uh, very very early education process I just see um, from my own son going through school compared to uh, the environment that I went through and admittedly I, I was a country boy so I went to a very small country school where everyone knew each other and uh, you know I think in my Year 12 class, there was five of us. So uh, very intimate, uh, very personal relationships, uh, probably not the same way in the in the city. But I, what I've, I've sensed is even the, the student-to-teacher uh, relationship, there's no respect for the teachers. And th this sort of uh, ethos then seems to permeate all the way through. So uh, for me... Uh, and I'm, I'm starting to sound old now, uh, Hunter, but, uh, <laughs> because uh, I think if we can sort of re-invigorate uh, respect at an early age, uh, working its way through, then the, those that are forgotten about on the edges of society, and the, there's a lot of old people who have a wealth of wisdom 
totally. at, at any age, right through to their 90s, the, they've got so much wisdom to give, but totally. there's this perception that if it's not brand new and funky and, and uh, technology-based, then it, it's all hat and useless and who cares? Yeah, that, that's true. So I think we've got to, we've got to have less focus on things and, and goods and consumerism and more focuses, focus on what used to be called citizenship, which is that you have a responsibility amongst the broader society. Um, as an individual, everyone should be allowed to have the freedom to do what they do and to be what they be, um, but they also have a responsibility to others beyond them. And I think if we just kept those basic values in place, we would be fine and it wouldn't matter how much technology we had or how much new stuff we had, we would always remember the fact that Yes, we have a place, and everyone else around us has a place as well. Yeah, totally agree. The um, yep. just flowing on from what you're saying there as well. I mean, we we live in a lucky country. There's no doubt about it, and we've got everything. Let, let's face it, we've got everything. And yet, all the research I I do suggests that there's only a very small number of people in Australia who feel happy and fulfilled. Yes. Uh, why do you think that is, and what what do the happy and fulfilled invest in that? The others don't, you think? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's about investing in in moments of happiness, not not trying to go towards some top of the mountain of happiness exists at seventy when I've got everything going well and I don't have to work and, and, and I've paid everything off, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I think we would be we would be far better off if we uh, focus less on uh, physical objects and buying shit. <laughs> yeah, spot on. Not, not saying that buying some things isn't worthwhile, like investing in things, as you, as you talk about with your, your listeners and your book and your approach to business. Investing in a house is great. Investing in business is great. Investing in skills is awesome. But um, if we think we're going to find happiness by buying the latest shiny car or the latest shiny object, then... I think most people would say that we've got another thing coming. And I saw a video the other day by George Lucas who was explaining the dark side and the light side of Star Wars and he said it beautifully. He said that those that focus on compassion for others are the ones that have happiness. Those that focus on selfishness in themselves never get it. <laughs> gold. That's gold. Yeah. yeah, nailed it there, mate. I, I've always felt that happiness is a, is a choice. It's a decision, not a circumstance. So I get up in the morning and decide to be happy and yes. then uh, if you've made that decision, it doesn't matter what comes at you, it's, it's a matter of how you respond to it that counts. Okay. Whereas there seems to be, as you, if you well elaborated on there, this sense that, well, I can only be happy when I've got this or I've got that or I've achieved this or I've achieved that. Well, it's, it's, I actually think it's the reverse. If you decide to be happy, then success, however you define it, because it is different for everyone, is more likely to occur because you've decided to be happy then I'll only allow myself to be happy when. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's okay. Always, that's always a future proposition, whereas if you think about, um, you know, life is, a, life is made up of X number of seconds, X number of minutes, X number of days, X number of weeks. And so what you've got to try and say is, okay, how can I find a way to be happy for five seconds? And then once you get good at that, we'll find a way of being happy for a few minutes. And then once you get good at that, we'll find a way of being happy for a few days. And that really is... As far as I'm concerned, the, the puzzle, and it's not worrying, not trying to think about trying to be happy when I'm 70. Yeah. Or, yes. You know, when I buy a new car, because you know, new cars become old and new watches become old. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. There's nothing wrong with having things, but don't think that that's where happiness lies because it's not there. No, absolutely de dead right, mate. Okay, so if we look back on the conversation that we've had uh, 
today, Hunter, in the context of your own situation, what do you believe you really invest in? Um, I think I really, I really invest in other people and myself. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not in things. Um, yeah. If I invest in other people and myself, then things come from that. Yes. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, sort of coming to the conclusion of things, if, if you could bring one person back from the dead, mate, who would it be and, and why would you do it? Uh, probably my dad, um, just just to give mum a companion, basically. Okay. How long she has had, dad been gone? Uh, since I was 20, so 30-odd wow. years, wow. yeah. Wow, it's a big hole in her life and a big hole in your life too, no doubt. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, yep. that's that's a, a good call. My, uh, my own father... He was Bushy Senior. I, I was Bushy Junior, and um, the yep. reason I've kept the Bushy tag is to keep his legacy alive, Hunter. In actual fact, uh, because when someone says Bushy, I think of Dad, and yeah. uh, very similar. I I was blessed with my parents. A lot of people aren't. I got very yes. lucky with mine, and uh, Dad was an absolute legend. I I still bump into people who go, Oh, you you must be. Bushy, Bushy's son, and I said, "Yeah, I am." And he said, "Ah, oh, he was a great bloke. He was fantastic." And, and, and that—that's that, been—I reckon that's, yeah, it's been nearly thirty years, mate. So, uh, yeah, I can—I can see that you—you uh, uh, feel the same way in that regard. Okay, so, no, that's awesome. Um, something for the listeners now. Uh, if there's a, a book and/or a podcast that you really enjoy, uh, what should they be reading and listening to? Well, mate, I'm probably going to go a different angle to what most of your interviewees would say. And I would right. say that, that if your listeners went to the United Nations website yep. and they read the 30 human rights articles as defined by Eleanor Roosevelt and all her friends in 1947, yep. and they were able to apply those to their life, they would find things much easier for them and would be making it every day easier for someone else. That's gold. That's gold. Any of the those actually spring to mind that you can share? Well, there's, there's 30 of them, and one of the, I actually posted something the other day about it, and there's a lot of debate going on in society at the moment about various issues, which I won't mention here on the podcast, but everyone will know what they are. <laughs> and the fact is that both sides of the debate are ignoring people's human rights, and yes. those are things to we all have the right to live and be free yeah. uh, and to make our own choices and to have our own opinions. Yeah. And whilst I'm not I'm paraphrasing there, um, the, the freedom to be an individual and the freedom to make your own way in your life is really the fundamental of what the human rights are all about. Totally agree. We can't, we, 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 no one allows, is allowed to make us a slave of, of their opinion. Yeah. Uh, no one's allowed to uh, stop us from being free to do what we want to do and to be the individual that we were meant to be. Yeah. Um, and so... For me, that is the that is something that I've supported a lot, um, the human rights, and, yeah. and I think it's it's something that most people actually don't know what those thirty articles are. Mm. Oh. Say I have a right to do something, but most of the time, those things that they mention are actually not human rights. The thirty human rights are the thirty human rights, and they're the thirty that were defined by. And some of the things people say they have a right to blah blah blah. They actually don't have a right to do those things. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good call. That's a very good call, actually. I'm, to, I, to, I, I, to, or to vilify or to racially discriminate or any of those things, they actually don't have a right to do those things. They have a right to express an opinion, yes. but they don't have a right to take the uh, those things away from someone else. So 
Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. I, I think there's, a, if there's one thing that I would like to see removed, uh, and this is probably pipe dreaming, Hunter, but it's judgment, uh, yes. judgment in all of its forms, because uh, yes. every one of us is individual. Every one of us has a right to live the way we want to live without someone uh, judging them from some artificially predisposed or uh, or um, ancestral. Uh, thinking just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, no, totally. has and never will. But no. it, but the the funny thing is, it's the the ones quite often it's uh, those that are those most vocal about being judged themselves, who are in fact very judgmental in the opposite direction. It's I, I find it a, a really interesting paradigm, and and the sense of entitlement that I see a lot of. Uh, Australians adopt for whatever reason. I'm not sure how it's come come to be. Yeah. Uh, is a bit scary in the concept of where that might lead us to. Yeah, totally, mate. Absolutely. So anyway, that's a good place to go. It is. <laughs> no, I totally agree. A great way to wrap it up, mate. And I, I will actually go and read those now. You've pointed them to me, and uh, I don't think I've read the thirty. So I'm going to make sure I do that, and I'll be encouraging everyone else to do the same. Mate, uh, really appreciate you spending some time with me. I know Silver and Wise is going to do very well. There's a massive need for it out there. There's a, a huge number of people who, at that important stage of their life, are losing confidence in, in themselves and the hope and the transformation that you'll give to their confidence, to their health, to their emotional well-being, to the, uh, I, I, just about in every sense. And its contribution to the community and economy is fantastic. There's, uh, I haven't seen anyone who's... Uh, recognise it and being prepared to uh, back themselves and do something with it. So very keen to support you uh, as much as I possibly can moving forward with that, mate. I know it'll thanks. do well and appreciate you spending some time with me today. You're most welcome, mate. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity and really great to chat, bud. Thanks, Hunter. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Well, Freedom Fighters, how good was that? To get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com com.au that's h-e-l-l-o at khgroup.com.au or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested i look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the get invested podcast so thanks for listening and as always dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die tomorrow